0: Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 78. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots and sharing our mussy movies and guilty pleasures from the past. Each time, one of us is in control. One of us chooses the something for the other person to watch. The something. It sounds like a... Usually a movie. Actually, it rarely like has a,
1: it not been a movie, except for when really it was A
0: really bad B-movie horror movie yeah. by... What's his name? That's true. Like the happening guy. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Whose name I could never pronounce anyway. <laughs> Hi, if you're still with us, we're going to start the episode now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stalling because it was my turn to choose.
1: You did. You chose. You were the chooser. The and decider. The choosing even.
0: that I decided was Neil Jordan's 1986... Movie, okay. Mona Lisa, starring Bob Hoskins and Kathy Tyson, and Michael Caine,
1: and Michael. Caine. On Michael Caine. Sort of Michael Caine. He's not in it very much.
0: But he is Michael Caine. It's not like he's sort of Michael Caine. No,
1: I mean he's sort of starring. Yes. He's like a guest star or something okay. like that.
0: <laughs> Put this me movie on the spot. is
1: not about a. F- uh,
0: a museum heist?
1: Yeah. It's not about it's paintings not about <laughs> at all. It's there, not about... There are no... <laughs> never do
0: we steal Leonardo's famous painting from the Louvre. And
1: Julie Roberts was not in this. It was not set in the 1950s at a girls' school. It's also
0: not a William Gibson uh, adaptation of Mona Lisa Overdrive.
1: Okay. So, so we've established <laughs> what it's not.
0: <laughs> it does figure the song, Mona Lisa.
1: Yes. Over it does. and over. Yeah, throughout
0: and above. That's right. starting from the opening credits, I think.
1: That's right. Yeah. So this may be my first Neil Jordan film. I, I think. was going to
0: ask. It's like at the top of I my was, list over here. I
1: so I because I'm obsessed with this game on my phone. I didn't do the kind of research that I usually do. So I don't. Uh, the only other movie that I know that Neil Jordan directed, which I haven't seen, is The Crying Game. Okay, I've
0: got one that you've seen. I may have two that you've seen. Um, So this is very early in his career. But he, I'm pretty sure, saw Interview with the Vampire.
1: Oh, yeah, I forgot about it. Which you would not
0: necessarily understand as being his, except that it's got folks like Stephen Ray who usually turn up in his movies.
1: I don't really see much of the relationship between these two films, I guess.
0: And um, I think this came up at some point. You may have seen The Company of Wolves, which was a, a modern horror sort of retelling. I have seen that. I
1: didn't know that was Neil Jordan. That's a weird film. It's fine. Maybe
0: his second film or something Mm. like that. Second or third film. And, uh, of course, The Crying Game was the big one. His, I think, probably some of his, I I think, I, I believe Bob Hoskins was nominated for Best Actor for this, but... He kind of he got lots of nominations and even a win for the Crying Game for best yeah. screenplay. <laughs> I totally shamelessly name drop this all the time, but I have held Neil Jordan's Oscar That's for right. the screenplay of <laughs> the Crying Game because the time I crashed the Miramax party at Chasen's in after the Oscars. Yeah, and uh, the entire cast of uh, the Crying Game was there. Interesting, and you know who was not there, as far as I know. So oh yes. Andy McDowell was there. Okay. <laughs> Stephen Ray was there. I talked to Stephen Ray. Anyway, that's a different <laughs> Neil Jordan movie. And is, is Stephen Ray even in this one? He's in almost every single one of, No. Okay.
1: I don't I remember seeing him in and this Michael
0: one. And Michael Collins.
1: Mm. I don't know if
0: you ever said that Liam Neeson. The did
1: he do a more did Neil Jordan do a more modern film, like sort of a gangster? Maybe also with Bob Hoskins, but like Bob Hoskins was quite a bit older, or is that a different what, director? I, know, I
0: think I know what you're talking about. No, I'm not, because I'm thinking of uh, of um, the other actor, that other British actor, the one who played Gandhi, Ben Kingsley, is in a gangster movie.
1: Okay, uh, maybe la- that's la- the one. La- la- later I'm
0: on, when he's old and they're hiding out in L.A. at a, around a pool. Okay, and, yeah, yeah that's, is that the one you're talking that's about? That's the one I'm it's talking not a about. Not Jordan. Movie.
1: Okay. Seems like it might have been, but um. it's the same kind of thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I really like Neil Jordan's first few mm. movies, and uh, I don't know. Should I go with why I chose this, or what? I don't sure. I mean, because like
1: I, I, I can't tell you why I didn't see it. Probably because I was five well, years old when this came out, so.
0: I think that's probably the only reason. Yeah. You didn't. I don't. I don't. I mean, a lot of great movies from the 80s and from when you were a child didn't like live on.
1: No, the 80s is sort of like lost.
0: So, I've been wanting to do this for a while on the show, and um, I think it finally either no, I think it's about to be released as a Criterion. Oh, okay. So it popped up on the Criterion channel um, with the neo noir section, mm. that uh, category that came up last month. And this time in the 80s and early 90s was like this huge, I guess this was the period of neo-noir. Mm. It's like, um, there are all these British and American, like, crime movies of that time that that kind of look back but, but bring up to date sometimes. Sometimes they don't really bring no. them up to date. They just try to do them again.
1: Like that Kim Bassinger one, which is just like... Yeah. Which is good, but...
0: So... I yeah, I can't I can't even remember all those types of all the movies. I guess okay, I jotted down a couple things, but these were actually a few years later. There the in America we had the, there was like The Grifters. Yeah. Actually, but that's directed by Stephen Frears, the British yeah, director, but it, but it's, you know, That's American a good film. movie. It's God, a great movie. I love movie. Annette Benning. I love um, her so much. So all of these adaptations of Jim Thompson's mm. crime novels came yeah. up, so like The Grifters and After Dark My Sweet and and stuff like that. And then this is also right around the time of uh, Blood Simple and the Cohen mm. brothers doing stuff like Blood Simple. Yum. A few years later, they do Miller's Crossing. Um, there was just so many of these for a while. And there were a lot of good ones. And then there were a lot of mediocre ones. And then Tarantino kind of popped up and everything went in that direction. For yeah, a
1: while. I guess that's but true. But this is
0: just before that. It's mid 80s. And so this is kind of, I mean, I guess this is a neo-noir and we can talk about what is a neo-noir. Why would it? Why is it even filed in that? By mm-hmm. Criterion. I don't know who I don't, who else calls it that. Because it also comes out of um, the British gangster yeah. kind of thing. Because Bob Hoskins at this point was already like, m- mostly well-known for The Long Goodbye, which is like the British gangster movie, 1980, just a few years. And I've never seen it.
1: I've never seen it either. But
0: everybody would have been... I think it was a big enough movie that people would have been familiar with him, at least the British crowd, mm-hmm. having been that kind of a... Cockney gangster type
1: yeah
0: <laughs> um so you were five and I was fifteen, yes. <laughs> And this was uh, again from like this fertile period of movie going that keeps coming up on the show that I talk about, like I'm going to the movies almost every weekend. um, Usually with my older sister, we are just like flipping open, you know, the newspaper back then and going, what's, you know, you have movie theaters that you like going to. What's at the Lumiere? What's at the opera plaza or something. This is San Francisco in the eighties. So I'm pretty sure we probably just was like, let's go see what's at you know, the Lumiere. And then we went, um, but I was also sort of religiously watching Siskel and Ebert and that kind of thing back then. I think it was still Siskel and Ebert in the mid-80s. I believe so, yeah. It um, still was when I and was And they really liked this film. Yeah. Um, and so I can't, I don't, this may be one of the first I saw, but right around this, there's there's sort of these gritty British kind of movies. It's some early Mike Lee and stuff. There's this mm-hmm. is kind of gritty urban East End kind of, contemporary London kind of thing yeah. that I actually really liked and I still really like. It's years before like Naked which we've already argued about on this show yeah. <laughs> at length um, so uh, I I don't think I've ever gone back to look at this. Yeah. I think it probably just hit my brain when I saw the cover on the Criterion channel or yeah. like on a DVD box or something like that and uh, I've always wanted to go back and look at it because I remember really liking at the time. Um, and I knew, I felt like you didn't really know, the like, Neil Jordan at all. No, no. And um, I don't love everything he does, but, like, he, I think he has enough really good movies in his catalog that he's, he's, it's worth catching up with some of them. Yeah. I can't actually remember the last thing I've seen, but I think this also came to mind because we did... Um, Austin Film Festival virtually this past year, you know, during the pandemic, and he was one of the guests of honor. So I remember um, a morning watching his live stream Zoom, like Q&A. It was fantastic. (laughs) And it really reminded me what a great, literate, neat, down to earth filmmaker, but who really does such a good job of, of place and texture and people and Double crossing, and I, I don't know—that's <laughs> very vague. But I've just always really liked Neil Jordan, so this is one of his best, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So, I, I guess to sort of summarize the the plot, we have Bob Hoskins, who's just gotten out of jail or prison. Yeah, he plays a guy named George, and it seems like he did a he like took the fall for some for, for Michael Caine or somebody in Michael Caine's crew.
0: Yeah, for Michael Caine's crew.
1: Um, so we have him driving back into town, trying to get back in touch with his old sort of crime boss, Michael Caine. Um, brings him a bunny for some reason. It's like a, th- a thing they do. You just have to wonder about it. It's yeah, just a he, thing. They bring him a bunny. Um, and then, so he's he's trying to get a job, hooked up with a job. Um, and then, actually, I think the opening scene is him trying to get in touch with his daughter, who he hasn't seen in years.
0: Yeah, I think it might be his first stop.
1: Yeah, he stops to see his Picks daughter. Picks up his
0: car, who his friend mm-hmm. is taking care of, and goes to see his ex and his daughter.
1: And his ex like kicks him and out, and that's
0: all kinds of all yeah. <laughs> hell breaks loose. The front door. His daughter's fifteen. Yeah, in her school uniform at the door. Like, and dad shows up for it's been seven years. Seven years. Seven yeah. years. And the mom is screaming in the background to that he's no good and to slam the door on him and all yeah. that kind of stuff.
1: And they, you know, yelling and screaming and tr- knocking over trash cans and and all kinds of stuff like that.
0: But I feel, but George definitely feels entitled to like, there's a job that should be waiting for him, but I don't think it's the kind of job he was necessarily no. expecting. No, so he
1: gets a job, and I'm not clear on the relationships here, but he gets a job driving around a high-class prostitute, you know. Simone. Simone.
0: She mostly works like the, the, uh... The hotel circuit, I The hotel circuit, the hotel think. circuit yes. like the embassies or whatever, I don't know, it just had that kind of high class call girl sort of thing
1: yeah so i'm not clear on if she's completely independent or if she works under some sort of umbrella of these types of
0: from so she says she's her own boss yeah like every time she's investing in george get him new clothes or you know that kind of thing it's like her money i think yeah My take on it is, I think that maybe, I think that she's in business for herself and probably has uh, Michael Caine's people as protection or some kind of overseeing thing. She may not be as independent as she thinks she is, but I think she runs the day-to-day management. Like, there's no pimp in the same way that there would be.
1: Like, she wouldn't be able to stop paying protection. She has to pay protection, you know, to protect herself from the protection. She's locked
0: into (laughs) a different form of prostitution than she was before, as we learn more about her
1: cuz i think i mean like you they get into her past but it it's clear that she used to you know be walk on the street and you know answered directly to a pimp who was abusive and awful he comes in later yeah. in the story um so she hires bob hoskins to drive her around um to all her different appointments
0: he's a driver and yeah. sort of a bodyguard really yeah um, and she needs a, a male companion who looks smart eventually. Yeah. He gets a better she clothes. She buys him a suit. <laughs> His own idea of looking, uh, of getting new clothes is pretty appalling. When she yeah. first tells him he needs to, like, clean up. He
1: buys, like, leisure wear for the coast or something yeah. like that. He buys, like...
0: <laughs> but she's she can be easily marked by hotel management and security if she's not accompanied by somebody waiting. Yeah. Somebody who looks okay waiting for her in a suit with a glass of scotch or something in the lobby yeah so that's their setup and uh i think it's safe to say that they pretty much hate each other at first
1: yeah you know one thing that i i noticed like right off is like why do the hotel people care (laughs) they seem very upset about what's going on in hotel rooms i mean like yeah, that's what happens in hotel rooms. I mean, all sorts of seedy business happens in hotel know, rooms. Uh,
0: there's, so there's the question of these are places like the Ritz and stuff like. Yeah, I mean, these are these are these are. So there's a reputation thing. And, and all British
1: be, hotel operators well, are, a, are Basil faulty. Every well, single one of them. Well, there may be laws, too, <laughs> yeah.
0: about uh, being fined or something for knowing sure where you're, you know, okay. who knows. But they don't want it going on under their nose. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, there's one hotel in particular that I think is really on to them and, yeah. and, and always on the lookout. The rest of the time, it seems they can pretty much kind of come and go, go yeah. order a drink, and they're fine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, that just just seems like a lot of effort to uh, try to control people's behavior in a room that you've rented them for the evening. You know. <laughs> so is there anything
0: else we need to set up about the 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 arc of the film or or where this guess, goes in any way? Well, the or? other
1: you know part of it is that Simone, back when she was, you know, working more on the street directly, um, she had a friend a, a friend uh, who was also in the business. Um, a younger girl, I think. Teenager. Teenager.
0: She's what th- was her name? Kathy. Kathy. So she's George's daughter's age, which yeah. is a big connection throughout for George. That's I think. right.
1: Um. So she is. Simone is looking for Kathy. So he, she kind of asks Bob, you know, Bob Hoskins' character to find her, to find this girl, you know.
0: She, Essentially, this is someone from her days of working the sort of rough trade street walking in the King's Cross area at night, like yeah. with under the same abusive pimp. Mm-hmm. And um, she got away, and her friend Kath did not. Yeah. And she's oh, she, they make a practice, we don't learn for a while, but she keeps at the end of the evening having drive a uh, George drive up and down that bridge around King's Cross looking, yeah, you know, past like, and it's just. Isn't it crazy? It's just swarmed with like prostitutes and cars and yeah. stuff like that. Like, and there's
1: like a tunnel. I guess that's around yeah. the corner from the station. I don't or know something.
0: the area that well. <laughs> yeah, I was, I don't think yeah, we ever Kings Cross went. Is a I don't train think we ever station. did. So it's just that we neighborhood. didn't go
1: through King's Cross. I don't think when we were in no. London. So
0: I had some friends who lived in the neighborhood when yeah I, when I lived there before, but I don't know the neighborhood. Yeah. So he's. She's got him on a side mission to help her find Kathy.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, actually turns into some sort sort of charming scenes. He finds another girl named Kathy who he thinks might be her, but then discovers she isn't.
0: Yeah, that's... Um, and then they
1: have, like, he takes her out for a milkshake.
0: For ice cream. <laughs>
1: for ice cream, yeah.
0: So, you know, this, this leads to George... Um, Really haunting the seedy side of London, like Soho, going into sex shops and ask and uh, um, whorehouses, and you know, like all the all the all the (laughs) nasty places, like just like asking around and trying to find out about you know uh, a young girl who's blonde, about fifteen, who answers to Cap. And when people start to like say, "Oh yeah, come around later on," you know, then you're kind of like, "Really? (laughs) Like, are they just telling him they're going to have a young?" (laughs) available for him if he comes around later? And I think, yes, probably that is in fact what they're doing. But he does find this other girl played by... She was in a lot of movies at the Mm. time. I forgot about this actress. Her name was Sammy Davis and... uh, (laughs) Not Sammy Davis Jr. This is the original. Sammy Davis. She she was in films like Hope and Glory by John Borman around the same... She was in a number of movies around the same time. Um, But they strike up kind of a connection as... As he's trying to figure out if she's the one.
1: Yeah. Although not enough for her to stick around. I think she like bails on him like halfway through. <laughs> well,
0: he ends up creeping her out probably or what? Yeah. I can't well, remember. and then
1: she picks up someone
0: like. Or doesn't she get, does she get yanked back by the. She's involved with the
1: same uh, pimp.
0: Anthony. I, just thought, I
1: just thought she went and picked someone up because she was tired of hanging out with him.
0: I think she's part of Anthony's, okay. like, the same service. Okay. The same connection. <laughs> anyway, so where are we going with this?
1: Um. Oh, and then, so he he's staying with, with this friend, I guess, who lives in some sort of weird... Gr- in, in a camper, like an old-style, like, 50s camper, in a weird garage where he like i guess he's in the import export <clears throat> business he has like all- he has a bunch of weird stuff he had like japanese food sculptures yeah. like of which is fascinating that's like one of the most
0: <laughs> so it's the great uh, english comedian robbie coltrane who, okay who plays uh, his his friend um thomas mm-hmm. and robbie coltrane's the star of that uh detective show the crime show i was watching cracker a few like oh, okay. last year where he's like a criminal psychologist that they get okay. that, the, that uh, christopher eccleston brings in to co- consult on their cases to try anyway he's he's amazing he's great <laughs> and whatever he is he often plays comic roles but he can also really do drama too so,
1: he's just eccentric here i don't think i don't nothing about this film is like funny really it's
0: it's a little odd yeah, Off, it's a little
1: odd, odd but nothing. Well, it, there, you know,
0: there is some humor here because you know George will just walk in without any explanation. There's like the the dishes of plastic spaghetti. Yeah, just on that's the, the table. Japanese, food
1: Japanese food sculptures. Japanese food
0: sculptures. <laughs> I don't know. I guess he just buys stuff and th- tries think to resell does, it.
1: I think he does like import export stuff. You know, or maybe he's getting them illicitly or something like that. Or, but um, but I think.
0: The main arc of this movie is the relationship between George and Simone. It's true. Which is like it has uh, it has a trajectory. It does. Right. And I was gonna ask you, like, how well do you think the movie develops that connection? Because it starts with outright like they really can't stand each other. Yeah. They're kind of stuck together.
1: He like kicks her out of the car or something like that. He kicks her out of
0: the car and screams at her at some point and tells her to get going. Yeah. Early on. And then he
1: feels bad and comes back. He
0: immediately feels bad. Yeah. Like, turns and that, the car around.
1: That scene made me uncomfortable because it's all happening in a roundabout where there's cars going around. It was driving me na- nuts. I was that like, ah! You're gonna get hit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, even he says, get in the car, You're gonna, we're gonna get hit. <laughs> we're gonna get run down. <laughs> but, at, but they develop what seems to be... yeah. I don't know what it is. A friendship? uh, An understanding? uh, There's something...
1: Well, I mean, he has a crush on her. I mean, that's pretty clear. I think,
0: yes, he falls in love with her. I think he actually falls for her. And and so I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, how well do you think the movie does with starting with that kind of, you know, enemies to lovers kind of thing? They don't become lovers, but you know what I mean.
1: No. Well, I mean... I don't know. I have mixed feelings about this and like you know this actually kind of draws back to naked but like it's clear that he does not know how to relate to women as people you know as evidenced by the very first scene where his ex-wife is like so upset that he's even there that she's like screaming and get get the f out of here we don't want you here kind of thing you know so i mean like And, like, it's interesting because, like, during the course of this, he does kind of, I mean, like, I think it's infatuation, but I think he does develop some degree of respect for Simone over the course of it. But then, like, ultimately, he can't sort of overcome this, like, entrenched masculine need to control women, you know who? Yeah, any sign of know. being
0: rebuffed makes the anger come yeah. up again.
1: Yeah, so like I mean, like there are things, there are times when he almost like becomes the kind of person that like could be a partner and be respectful and and understand why Simone, you know, has to live her life this way and all of that or chooses to live her life this way, then. You know, but then this, like, yeah, this sort of seething anger. And, like, it's this weird thing, like, he feels like he needs to protect her from these other terrible, awful, violent men. But ultimately, he can't overcome his...
0: No, and sort of what he offers to her is he's the least violent person in her life. Yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) But,
0: okay, this is, I think, this is a positive thing in terms of, like, the depth of this character. Yeah. Because... And, and what Bob Hoskins is doing. Yeah. Because he, you get a character who you can clearly see there is warmth and something below trying to be a better person and yeah. trying to f- draw upon some well that may not be there or is so far down yeah. you know, of compassion, of like caring about, of trying to do something for someone other than himself. And I think he tries to do that with her. The only problem is... is Well, it's not the only problem. But, like, there are strings attached to it. Yeah. Because he's doing it ultimately because he has a crush on her. He, he's he infatuated wants, with her. He wants, he wants, some, wants a payoff. He, wants a, he wants a relationship with her. Yeah. But another thing... Another shade of George that we get that I just really love how it's handled is his, on, his attempts to reach out to his daughter.
1: Yeah.
0: And so there's at least... Two or three. There's there's throughout the movie, he keeps making attempts to reconnect with his daughter to the point where, like when we leave him at the end where everything else has gone wrong. With Simone. (laughs) Right. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like violently wrong.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) You have you have a glimpse of like he is starting over with his daughter. Yeah. I really liked that. I mean, like, I think. yeah, I think that there's like a, I think that you, you sort of got to this too, is like part of his, part of his thing with Simone is also this kind of like controlling fatherly kind of thing. Yeah. There's a whole, there's a big father daughter element going mm-hmm. on in this movie and he does it again with that other girl. Um, yeah. May, her name turns out, she's lying yeah. that her name is Kathy. They yeah. just tell her, this is the blonde girl, Kathy, that you're looking for. But actually, she's another underage prostitute named May, <laughs> yeah. who is blonde. Yeah, Doesn't have the tattoo on the arm <laughs> That's right. that, that they're looking for.
1: It's it's very interesting. It's a, It's an interesting character study. And like watching, I mean, because it's very clear that he goes through the stages of like, not liking her and then kind of liking her and then like becoming sort of infatuated, and they have it's a sort of interspersed with these scenes where he goes home and talks to his friend about how, like, you know, you know, wonderful this woman is, and you know, how you know smart and educated and all this which is like such like an infatuation it's it's infatuation language that i mean it may be true it is true she's awesome but they
0: have this weird (laughs) shtick too that they do where they're like telling each other stories yeah and so some of the stuff he says is like in the third person. I yeah. think. And So the so the fella likes the you know yeah. see, meets the lady and the you know she's high, she's better class than the you know. Yeah. He like tells it in the third person, and his friend is always telling him random like the plot of some stupid mystery he's reading yeah. about that has a horse and like opera singers getting killed. That's and right. And then George is asking him if the horse is the one that killed the opera singer. It's yeah. very weird, and it keeps coming back. So yeah. Every time Robbie Coltrane and. Bob Hoskins end up, they end up continuing, like, these little threads of the story that they're telling George about what's actually going on in his life. And usually some idiot plot from a book from Robbie Coltrane. Yeah. <laughs> so, here's one, here's something. We've talked a lot about George, but, like, what do you get when you look at the movie from Simone's perspective? Does she actually feel anything for him? I mean, or is she using him to find... Cath the the entire time. See,
1: I think that that's a, that's like maybe the central question to answer because, like, on the one hand, you know, her experience with men and what she does for a living means that she probably does not trust any men at all. She probably develops some amount of like friendly feelings. You know, but I think to some degree, like she can't ever trust him, you know, enough for it to be like a real, true friendship. I mean, like just by the nature of the life. It will never
0: be a relationship because she's, she's in love with Kathy. Yeah,
1: she's in love with Kathy. And we
0: don't learn this until, I mean, we don't know for certain until quite late in the movie when George puts it all together.
1: Well, and that's the thing that's interesting to me is that like Simone doesn't, she's very, you know, Mm -hmm. she's very impassive the whole film. Like we, she's very careful in her words. She's careful in her actions. She's, um, I mean like, I don't think she ever did anything that would make Bob Hoskins think that
0: i was gonna he liked her i was gonna ask you it's if you a, ever thought do we ever feel like she's using what she's picking up on his interest in her to her advantage because it will help her find kathy surely she knows he feels something for her
1: i i'm sure she's aware of it but i mean like the thing is she's paying him it's his job she's his know? boss. you know she is his boss you know, she does kind of let her guard down, let him come to her apartment. And like that like bites her in the ass because like he comes to her apartment with an old sex tape that he picked up at one of the CD things and shows her and then gets upset that she made a sex tape with her old pimp, you know. So well, I mean, that's like, when he's
0: putting together that yeah. that is the guy that yeah. that's after them. So too. I
1: mean, like, and like he doesn't say anything to her. He doesn't ask her about it. He just puts on the tape. I mean, like, this is like, you know, maybe that's the time. Like, she was like, well, you know, I tried opening up to this guy, and like, this is okay. this is what I get is like this guy being like oddly possessive you about could probably, me. Probably, yeah. Like,
0: take a piece of paper and make two columns and yeah. go, what's the evidence that she feels something for him and yeah. has any warmth at all for that's him? That's true. And what what side tells us that she's just using him to her advantage and that a lot of what we're seeing is performance because that's what she does as a call girl. This is her survival means well, yeah. in the world. Well,
1: why not both? Why can't, why does I mean, like, if Bob Hoskins is allowed to be complicated and have, you know, have these tender feelings and have um and also be violent and controlling why can't
0: she we, have we can. you can. do know, you think that they man- I, do you think that they managed to give her that complex a character
1: I, I i mean like the thing is is i i don't know if th- there's not as i mean because we're we're clearly seeing it from bob hoskins character's and point we can of view. read
0: him pretty well yeah yeah he's like a boy i mean you can read Almost every yeah. feeling he has, yeah, whether he tells you what it is he's feeling or not, I think, like you can see when he's angry, you can see when he's attracted to her, you yeah. can see when there's tenderness, you can see when he's trying to help someone, you can see when he just wants to smash something, you know. But with her, yeah, that's interesting that you yeah. say why not both.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that 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 is true, is, th- and it's it's it's. it's Hard to to display that on screen for everyone, especially when you have like a point of view character like we do in this case. It's hard to get what's going on with everyone else. I mean, like there's some like stuff on the plot that I'm still not clear on, like how um, Michael Caine ended up involved in the Kathy story at all like
0: (laughs) he's connected to anthony the pimp somehow it's like he's the next rung up or something i don't we don't really understand it's i still don't really understand yeah
1: i still if anyone wants to explain
0: it to me please do but
1: i mean i think i don't
0: think it's that important though i
1: think that probably from the beginning her sense of him was that yeah he can be weird and loud and violent and uncouth but he's not a dangerous man the way that that Anthony or or Michael Kane are you know like but she is know.
0: pissed when he leads Anthony the pimp back to her place yeah and he's, she's like now he knows where i fucking live yeah Be
1: but he's um, dangerous I mean, I mean, at this that point the thing is if Michael Kane was aware i mean like was involved. I mean, like maybe he always knew where she was or something. I don't. I don't know. It just seems like you know what? Because Michael Caine knew he where she was. I don't
0: feel like this is a weakness of the movie. No. I feel like to know to to have the sense that the network of of like how the underworld works is more complicated than we understand. Yeah. I actually think that's a good yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. That actually probably <laughs> is the way it is. It's all. Firm run London mob kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, at, at the highest levels. I mean, the guy at the video store just gives Bo- uh, Bob Hoskins the porn tape because yeah. he's, because he's like, "Oh, you're you're connected to the firm, so yeah." Right? Here, here's Aren't, this weird. So, so just.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, I I do think that probably. That there was some sort of relaxing and and like the formation of some sort of bond on her part. But I mean, like, I don't think that she would have been able to let go of of that in order to form any sort of real thing. And I think that in 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 the two interactions where he brings the sex tape and then somehow leads the pimp to her house, you know, that is like, okay, well, I can't, you know, any kind of relaxing of things we can't do anymore, you know, because...
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> and let me just say, on another level, isn't that a great suspense scene where yeah. the guy is outside the elevator? Oh, the
1: elevator scene's amazing, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's so good. They're in one of those, in an old creaky elevator with the metal gate that, you know, there's that's, there's no outer door. So yeah. as they're going down, the guy keeps is running down and, like, Battering against the the gate and trying to pull it open every, every time as they go down to the next floor. It's like what is happening? Yeah. But he first appears just throwing himself against the gate, and you would like have no idea he's there at all. It's a yeah. great sort of Hitchcock kind of thing. Damn. Yeah. So when it needs to, it can it can do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then there's the running uh, in the in Brighton the the boardwalk scene. The Brighton
0: the, stuff is great.
1: Yeah, terrifying.
0: And the the uh, final showdown in the hotel room. Yeah. So I want to bring a movie connection to you. <laughs> yeah. Can In some ways, can we look at this as a female version of Taxi Driver or something like
1: that? Oh, yeah, maybe. You, you
0: have, uh, you know, Taxi Drivers, you know, Travis Bickle Robert De Niro trying to save Jodie Foster from... Prostitution, right? You, yeah. But who has the agency in this movie? In the end, in the uh, by the time we get to the movie, yeah. who is it who blows everyone away and saves the girl? Yeah. It's Simone. <laughs>
1: Simone, yeah. She did what she needed to do to,
0: and she set everything in motion, and even y- used or manipulated George or got him to help her. However you want to phrase it, in order he to was, save. She
1: was paying him. <laughs> it was his job. <laughs>
0: so. <laughs> This is true. But I was just thinking... That's what
1: the money's for. Sorry.
0: And other duties as needed.
1: No, it's that famous scene uh, from Mad Men where uh, Peggy's like, you never say thank you. And he's like, that's what the money's for. (laughs) It's your job. Is that a Roger
0: line or who is that? No, it's Don. okay. That sounds like something Roger was saying. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what I was going to say is I was thinking back to like how much animosity there is early in the movie, mm. you know, when, as they first start with, like he's like, obviously, you know, she thinks he's an illiterate, like slob right? Yeah. with no, no class whatsoever. He's like a street thug. That's what she gets. That's, that's who they set her up with. And she just has to kind of deal with it. He just has to kind of deal with her. And I was thinking about, is it, am I remembering this incorrectly or does the softening on her part happen right after I think it's the second time they're cruising King's cross at night Mm. and they have an altercation at the window with a prostitute, Come to see if they they want to pick her up, like leaning in the window, and then her pimp comes over and starts screaming at them, and um and then he recognizes Simone in the back and says, "If Anthony sees you, he's going to cut your face up." That's right. And then Bob, and then George, I think like like you know bashes the guy in. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Headbutt, smashed face, Mm -hmm. like all that, and after that, you see like. I think it's even in the car like right after that she's like where'd you learn to do that
1: yeah
0: and he's like around (laughs) I think it's a call back to something she said earlier like he asked her something and um it's after that point that she says I want when she fills him in on what they're doing and, and asks him to help her find Kathy and then from that point on I think like is is when she's actually takes him in a like pretty woman kind of scene to get clothes and stuff like that.
1: (laughs) And she's actually
0: really warm with him and kind of, I don't know, he would think it's flirtatious. It might just be, you know, she's like, it's, I don't think it's flirtatious, but he probably thought it's like,
1: yeah. I mean like there's a, there's unfortunately a a lot of, um,
0: misreading, uh, misreading of uh,
1: people being considerate and caring towards you. And, and, Dan Savage calls it dickful thinking that it's, that it would be more than that. I think that's exactly what's going
0: on with (laughs) him. I mean, this is not the kind of guy who, I mean, you're going to get back what you put out in the world. So he's not getting a lot of warmth or normal interaction with anybody. Yeah. So when she changes her tune like that, then he's kind of, you know.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It raises
0: his hopes. Like you say, dickful thinking.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: But that's, I think, the beginning of what feels like more of a friendship between them. Yeah. And, like, you know, Neil Jordan is famous for doing switcheroos and stuff in The Crying Game. But Mm -hmm. I I felt like, I I didn't remember exactly how it was all going to play out. But I do feel like at the end of the film, when... Simone almost blows his brains out too yeah. during the the heat of that that That's final right. confrontation with the men in the world, the pimps and the the mafia, and you know, well Michael because Caine they and just a,
1: had two. I mean, like they. I mean, like to be fair, in this relationship that we thought previously was friendly, when he finds out that she's actually into Kathy and not, um. And there was some other, but, like, he, you know, grabs her, he tries to control her, he yells at her, he, I mean, like, any sort of warmness that they had developed, he sort of destroys in these, like, two interactions where he treats her just like these other men want to treat her or have treated her. I think he slaps her around and screams at her. yeah and like, you know, pushes her up against things and And
0: then she backs off because I think she's like I still need him to do this thing. Yeah. So f- fuck it.
1: Yeah. So I mean,
0: but what what I always what I felt at the end of this movie was what I was asked was I was getting around yeah. to earlier was this question of did she ever feel anything for him or was the whole thing kind of a setup? He's a guy who's or or a job, you know? Was I, she manipulating him? Was she just hiring him? Was Or was there some some level of they were tr- interacting with each other just as people somewhere in there?
1: No, I believe that. I believe that sh- she was interacting with him to the extent that she felt comfortable doing so with the understanding that given her circumstances would be very guarded, you know. But, I mean, this is, I mean, to to, you know admit my bias here <laughs> like fully and this is the portion of the yeah. podcast where we admit our, <laughs> admit, biases. admit our biases but like i mean like i you know as a person i don't think it's rare the person who's completely able to pull their personhood out of a situation. Like, I don't think that Simone is a narcissist or a sociopath or someone who doesn't feel emotions or is unable to interact with people or connect with people. So um, I think she can't help, but want to reach out for that connection and develop that sort of connection. But she would have withdrawn very quickly once once that, she she's seen that behavior again and again and again, you know. Of course she withdrew from, from any sort of emotional involvement. When, what
0: story do you think George tells himself about this at the end? Like, if we were to see the next time he talks to his friend about what happened, what would his take on Simone be?
1: Well, interestingly, because, like, the end, the last scene of the movie is him, like, wrapping up the story with his friend while they're fixing a car or something like yeah. that. And then he gets up and goes... On on out Yeah, with and I don't daughter. remember what he says.
0: Can you? do you But I mean, like, essentially, it
1: it's like he's wrapping up the story. I mean, like, my guess is that he, he would have cast himself as more of a hero who, like, honorably let her go when he found out that she was in love That's with. That's not Kathy. the way it looked on screen. No, it's not how it it's it actually exactly was. But I think you know, and like people do that, they you know make excuses for themselves and you know, rationalize things and like, uh, you know, and I mean like, you know, it's reasonable to be hurt and angry when you find out that someone that you really love is not into you Is in, but what's not reasonable is like trying to control them or trying to, you know, you know, smacking okay. them around and stuff like that, you know. so Let me
0: jump ahead with a life yeah. lesson here yeah. for George because... <laughs> Sometimes you'll get a story like this that is so downbeat that the that the lesson learned at the end is this was the last <laughs> chance to try to be a human being, and then you're just like write everyone off forever. That's not where we no, leave him. No, actually, you are left with the sense that something awakened, and he's going to try and work on being a father.
1: To yeah. well, he his got daughter. a chance. He could, she, He could have been dead in the hallway, so, like.
0: You don't know like like Anthony Anthony if he's still. I you know? don't know if he's still connected at the end. Yeah. You get a sense he's maybe just working with his friend. Yeah, like, and his daughter shows up to hang out or whatever it is. You know, yeah. he picks her up at school sometimes. I forget what happens at the end, but she's in the end.
1: I think she shows up.
0: So yeah, his his lesson at the end of the day was fuck people. Never give anything away. I you know I was robbed and like she was horrible and i don't you know it doesn't make him go down that path no. instead it it's kind of like all right maybe wrong person yeah but i've got my my people yeah my family which is basically thomas's friend and, Jean yeah. and his daughter yeah <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, so, like, maybe he can find someone who is...
0: I feel pretty good about where we leave George. Yeah. I don't know how Simone and Kathy are going to do.
1: Yeah, because there's two dead she's, men in and, the hallway. And Kathy's,
0: uh, like, coming off a of heroin. And, That's right. Yeah. And so she's in terrible shape. We never see her better. We we just no. see, you know, that oh, squalid... I mean, it's not squalid. It's a hotel room where, where people get their brains blown out.
1: Well, I mean... So, I mean, yeah, we don't know anything about the circumstances, but I assume that Simone has been working hard for this very circumstance. So when she finds Kathy, she can get them away, you know, from.
0: Maybe she can retire. Yeah. I I, I think that people are on to them that they hang out in Brighton now, but obviously (laughs) because that's how she she broke away from the street trade before. she. She A client uh, took her.
1: To Brighton. To Brighton.
0: She woke up in a Brighton hotel room and realized that she could pretty easily just stay day to day so the, to and start over.
1: suggested that she was also addicted to drugs at that point and that, the, that Brighton was her, her place she went to. She probably to detox she, she, and, she
0: detoxed and started going day to day and saving money and like yeah. ended up being able to come back and call the shots herself. Yeah. Same line of work, but a completely different setup, and she's her yeah. own boss. Well,
1: I mean, and that's, I mean, like what we want for for people is for them to be their own boss and not to have to answer to you know violent or well criminal elements. You know? Well, it's what it yeah. is.
0: What the the downfall or the the crisis, the challenge for Simone in this movie is that. She basically has severed her ties, but she willingly goes back into the dark side where she was before to bring Kathy back out. So she's the one who got away. She changed her life and she actually has it pretty good. You don't get any sense from her current clientele that she's really in any danger. No. She is making a good living. She has a beautiful apartment. Fine clothes seems to be quite confident and and just really doing well yeah (laughs) except for the fact that you know sometimes you get thrown at George as your driver yeah but um she's she's the one who goes back into the cave into the fire into the woods whatever you want it to and um the question is can she get back out again with Kathy this is like after the story
1: yeah (laughs) I mean yeah it's it's hard to know I mean like I mean, I, we don't get to know. All we get to know is what happens to George, you know, so.
0: I like movies that imply, like, a larger story that's around just the, mm-hmm. the chunk you see. And so, like, I do find, even though we just watched this, like, a week ago, I'm, like, I kind of have these thoughts. Like, I wonder how Simone's doing. I wonder how George, if George ends up, you know, if he and his daughter are okay again, you know, if he can ever, re-, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Do they have to keep that relationship secret from the, his his ex or yeah is that is he gonna be able to ever prove to himself that he's you know maybe maybe he's not gonna be connected anymore maybe he's gonna make an honest living doing weird shit with his friend you know
1: you know it's it's interesting I just listened to uh, this American life the other week which um um talk it actually followed one woman who had been sex sex trafficked you know so essentially what happened she a friend of hers that she met somewhere was like, oh, yeah, if you go to New York, I have this friend, he'll hook you up with the job at this club. And, like, she goes and meets up with this guy that she's never met before, and she ends up in, essentially, as, like, slave prostitution for, like, seven years or something like that. You know, and, and I mean, like... Like, you know, she blamed herself for all of this sort of... I mean, essentially, this is what sort of Michael Caine is doing, but with, with Kathy, you know, they have... You know, she's not free to make her own choices or to be wherever. I mean, like, Kathy is being trafficked. That's what that looks like. But what was interesting about it is, like, after she was able to escape from the guy that had control of her on this the story that they were talking to on This American Life, she went back into the trade when she had control until, like... That's in, Simone's story until in this until, movie. Uh, until Sestra Festra, like fucked everything up for everybody. But you know
0: that's the same story as what Kathy yeah, essentially, or Simone. Yeah, Kathy Tyson is the actress who plays Simone.
1: So it's not the job necessarily that is like bad and terrible. It's the not being free to make your own choices about your employment and who you're sleeping with and you know all of that and how much you're well, asking and to and, not be and, enslaved. Yeah, and 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 to have control over your life. And so that's. That's the difference here is like you might choose to do the same job, but the circumstances are entirely different, you know. So anyway, there's there's been a lot of talk about this lately, you know, surrounding the OnlyFans thing, you know. Uh, So (laughs) this
0: movie from mid 80s is quite (laughs) timely in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like
0: she's got an OnlyFans account.
1: It's kind of interesting because like. Nobody. I mean, like in this world like nobody is judgmental i mean like bob hoskins is a little bit sort of but there's not there's not a whole lot of that sort of like protestant like pearl clutching about prostitution in this film it's like pretty much like this is a thing where i mean like it's just accepted as as like nobody's like oh my god it's terrible i mean the circumstances are terrible but the actual fact of it you know for simone is not terrible as long as she isn't in this situation where she doesn't have control over her own choices in her own life, you know. So it's it's interesting mm-hmm. that way, you know, that it doesn't focus on that aspect of it because a lot of, you know, in our American, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: even evangelical obsession with all things pure, movies still you wouldn't
0: know, necessarily be made here, you that. know. <laughs>
1: Well and I think it's interesting is that there's like Simone is presented as this very like intelligent, intellectual, well well read, knowledgeable person. Well bred, well read. Yeah. You know? And like Sophisticated. it seems it seems like there's like this pairing of like and then, you know, Bob Hoskins' character who is not well educated, most likely. Um but like at both levels there's this like acceptance of of sexuality and prostitution as a fact that yeah. that just exists in the world, whereas like there's this sort of like middle class prote- prote- Protestantism that's like, you know,
0: well George, tries to
1: deny sexuality and, and George uh, you know, initially
0: slagging her off as a tart and yeah, calling her stuff like right. that, but yeah. then like a few later he's he's saying no, she's a lady, yeah, she's high class and she's like you know. <laughs>
1: So I, mean, I just Team think Simone. that's an interesting thing about um, at least Western culture is this sort of um, this sort of like dichotomy of like you know those fr- from 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 like p- poorer circumstances and those from like highly educated circumstances you know kind of see sexuality for what it is and then there's like this whole sort of like mid range of people that are you know, obsessed with like societal expectations and, and, you know, phony Christian values and stuff like that.
0: (laughs) You know, I was just thinking, you know, we've seen a number of movies from the 80s and 90s now that I originally saw way back when. And I'm just thinking like how it's a different experience now to be, you know, I'm 50 now. I was 15 when this came out. Yeah. So it's like now I see this through the lens of Bob Hoskins being a dad and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I have a 15-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And back then, I was the same age as the like child prostitutes in this yeah. movie. And it's very weird to... I can't even remember what this movie was like to experience back then. But it would have been... There would have been that element of... of Seediness and kind of horror at the thought that you know one of my peers or something like that could be yeah. one of these like in you know with the dice thrown another way like yeah. out on the streets like one of these kids um, it's weird to come back to movies you know thirty years later or whatever and yeah. like realize you're in such a different place in your life that you identify with characters in a different way and even with the subject matter in a different way
1: it's It's just interesting to me. Like our culture a a lot of sort of like middle class American culture is like you know d- drawn on this idea that that like somehow that we're different and special and like that I don't know, like there's something that separates you from from that i mean and and a lot of us live our lives like completely unaware of this whole like way that the world operates that it's always operated you know and and like we're like protected in our like little silos and but like essentially like i i don't know this this type of economy goes around goes on around us at all times you know and it's only our judgment that's you know keeping these people in situations that are unsafe and you know any i don't know i don't know it's it's fascinating to think about you know
0: a lot of issues
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) well and you know just like letting go of that judgment which is so like ingrained in and and every it's so fascinating to watch something where there's just not that you know
0: it's just the economy in yeah. this movie this yeah. is just another <laughs> it's just part of the world yeah so w- we haven't talked that much about i mean we've talked mostly about the characters and the yeah. story and that's and and the themes it brings up but we haven't really talked about it that much as a movie but i just wanted to say that one of the strong points, I think, is the sense of place that this yeah. film creates. Like you 100% believe that it's capturing like this, the seedy back alleys and, and London at night and, and, you know, kind of these dives in Soho yeah. and stuff like that. It It transports you to this time and place.
1: So that, it, it, that was. Very,
0: and, and, you know, people use yeah. the word like gritty, yeah. gritty. And there is a gritty realism to it. Yeah. It does feel like a real place.
1: It was. Inter- so we went to London in 2018. So, yeah. roughly like yeah. 40 years after, the, or something like that. 30 years?
0: You're like. <laughs> I swear we walked down that same road. No, alley. I'm
1: pretty And it's had construction too. There's a scene where, like, they're in Soho. Yeah. in the like in these which are you know that's the thing that's fascinating like if you've been to New York you think of New York as these like giant streets on a grid and London is not like that at all it's fascinating but like these tiny little streets that feel like alleys and then there's all these like little businesses like on top of each other yeah you know and so like when we went in 2018 um like it's obviously like much less gritty than, than it would have been then. But, like... But this
0: was, like, Times Square in the 70s or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 70s and 80s. There's and all these,
1: not, like, peep shows and...
0: I don't remember, or <laughs> I never knew London like this. I mean, I didn't yeah. go for the first time until, like, 89 or 90. Yeah. And, obviously, that's not the part of town well, I funny, necessarily like, hung out Well, it's funny, because all
1: those little shops that, w- when we were in Soho, they were record stores <laughs> and, like, um, menswear shops and, you know... So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, it still had the same, like, it still had the same feeling, like, the closeness of the streets and the small businesses and, like, the tiny record stores, but, like, you know... In, in, instead like instead of like going downstairs to like a, a weird little electronica record shop you go downstairs and it's a peep show It's
0: well you know like <laughs> market street in San Francisco still you know there's parts of it that aren't great at night but yeah. I mean when I was growing up they were like triple x movie theaters yeah. and like peep shows all up and down market street I mean like it's well, not that's,
1: that's, that's, so I went to the um, gay and lesbian museum in San Francisco yeah. one of the times that I went there which is in the Castro, but they had taken down from the walls of the old bathhouses these like fascinating murals. Like so they were on um um what do you call it, plywood. They plywood. had painted these murals on and they were up on the walls in these um in these bathhouses in um off of Market Street in that area, the tenderloin area. And so like, you know, there's these kind of you know Depic- depictions of sex and stuff like that that they've taken out of the context and they have it in this museum now. So it's it's interesting to me that like now these this sort of, you know, thing that used to be a thing that people did mm-hmm. then, you know, now, now is in a museum because like we're remembering when. Um, and I kind of wonder what that does to people to have these... <sighs> to this this like cleaning up of everything mm-hmm. like when people don't have spaces to where does it go Yeah Yeah you can
0: clean up the surfaces <laughs> but it's got to go somewhere
1: You know I mean it's it's like that I don't know we're just it's like I don't know it's like Austin when you know we're like everybody's up you know they're trying to we were trying to find a solution for the homeless problem, so we allowed camping in Austin, and then there was a, a backlash against that because nobody wanted to see that. But that was
0: the whole point of yeah. doing it, was, was so that so we so could see it to so so so, solve So you it. can see the problem, so that there would be an impetus to but solve the problem. we can clean
1: it up, but it doesn't, I but mean... People
0: are like, I don't care if you fix it, I, don't I just think don't se- want to see
1: it. I don't think sexuality is a problem. No. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that that people need spaces in order to express themselves in that way. Mm-hmm. And when we take that as what happens to, to people, you know, yeah. and to, to that.
0: Okay. Before we go, I wanted to come back to this idea of neo-noir. What is this a film noir? What, how does this, how does this connect to that tradition if it does? Is there? What's the argument for Can calling this? Can you remind
1: me of the criteria we have? No, I don't
0: want to do that. <laughs> you, you know what noir is, right? You know, you know.
1: I mean, like, I I don't know. I mean, like, I can't okay. say that I've read an academic tome that tells well, let's I not have talk, a basic let's, idea. Let's talk
0: qual. I mean, because yeah. no, okay, the <laughs> filmmakers who made those films did not set out to make a a type of film called a film exactly. noir. It's yes. named after the fact for the crime movies of the '40s and '50s yeah. that are. You know, black and white. So much of it takes place at night. You've got often a femme fatale. You've got often um, a either a detective or an innocent man or somebody with a with with shades of gray who's caught in a trap. You know, and you have there's this some, sense of
1: patsies and, you, and stool yeah, pigeons. Yeah, you have
0: this sense of uh, fatalism of the world is a is a dark trap that you can't <laughs> get can't get out of. Any mistake you made comes back to you threefold. You know, there's coincidences there you know all that sort of yeah. stuff you, you can you know the classics like double indemnity and the big heat and and uh everything Like hundreds right? yeah i bought, bought that book today dark city by eddie Mueller yeah. that i can't wait to crack open after we finish recording today <laughs> but what is what why would this be like say a neo-noir what what's the same what's different
1: So, I mean like one thing is I don't feel like we got a like everything ends terribly for everyone, which is like traditional for noir films. Which I mean like probably would not be the hallmark of of the um genre if it weren't for um the code at the time, yeah. you know, because like I think that there that probably the these movies would have been more um Ambiguous in their endings, if if yeah. if they were allowed to do that, but they often were just, somebody has a yeah.
0: downfall yeah, in yeah. a traditional noir. Like yeah. you, you get caught up in a situation and you can't get out, or you you know the the woman convinces you to murder her husband, and that leads to all hell.
1: It's right? it's I mean, like it it all it all feels like it's very Oedipal. It's very Oedipus yeah. Rex. You know, no matter what you do, you're going to end up so you On know the other ruining hand, your life
0: <laughs> maybe we're just making two bigots maybe we're looking for a connection that yeah. isn't there other than the fact that this is a crime film that takes place in the gritty world of the streets
1: it doesn't you know, feel like it doesn't
0: feel like an attempt like it i don't feel like neil jordan said i'm gonna it's make Noella
1: confidential or anything i like really that. feel
0: like this has more in common with like a like probably the long goodbye or a gangster movie or, or just a you know a crime movie from the night like it doesn't I'm not getting like noir from this in that. Yeah, way.
1: I don't I don't Yes, so. a lot of, a
0: fair amount of it takes place at night. You've got like the y- you know there's this kind of the underworld aspect. Yeah. Noir often is that sort of seedy underworld kind of thing. So you have that here. I don't think Simone is a femme fatale. No, I don't think She's so. She's a full flesh and blood nuanced yeah. character I think as is George. Yeah. They don't feel like puppets to me yeah. in the same way. So I don't know. I just wanted to throw out that... It's just... It's as simple as the Criteria Jattle just deciding to create a category, <laughs> neo-noir, and throwing this into it for me to, like, like actually stop and ask myself, why? Why would this be a neo-noir? I mean... What is a neo? Maybe neo is, you know, uh, something that makes it... That brings it to a more naturalistic place, well, to a who's more... The,
1: who's r- that director who does all the, like... um the british like gangster movies that came out in like the 90s Guy Ritchie? Yeah. I mean like it feels like I mean it's I think this is better than than many of those that I've seen but but it's it feels like that in a way but in a it's it's in a weird way though it's
0: there's something more <laughs> there's something so much smaller and more insular yeah. about um London mob movies. Mm. I mean, because yeah. London is a small place. I mean, England yeah. is, a, is an island. It's a small place. You don't have like the sense. Like it all feels like it. It actually feels right that Anderson and Michael Caine are connected, and everybody's yeah. linked to everybody else. I mean, I guess yeah. that's kind of a noir element. Like everybody's in the web. Yeah, but it also actually also feels like this underworld is probably that small. Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I I think that I mean and like when you think of when you think geography like all of these things are within like a couple miles of each other you know yeah. like the east end and soho i mean like you well,
0: can... Well rem- London is vast i yeah. mean remember how many
1: But but these i mean these miles, are essentially essentially right around the central city soho yeah. is on one side east end is on the other but they're all i mean they're all clumped together in a way that I mean like yeah you need a driver to get from one place to another but like distance wise like I mean you probably run into the same people all the time if you know Yeah. You know within within your neighborhood I mean like many cities London is a is a city of neighborhoods you know so Yeah.
0: All right, so there's some connections there, but it's not it's not a straight I don't, I don't, trajectory. I don't
1: see that. It doesn't feel the same. I don't, way I don't to see me. it in the same
0: way that something like The Grifters feels like.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, an attempt to make a modern noir movie. It's in color, but it's a yeah. noir movie. It takes place in that time, I think. Does it? I don't know. Annette Bening certainly looks like she's some bombshell I just from always
1: feel like the with noir 50s. film. There's like always this element of somebody struggling. To get to something. Yeah. Whether it's love or money or a different station in life or, you know, to satisfy someone. There's always
0: blackmail, too. Yeah.
1: People are, like,
0: corrupted and co-opted into doing things that they don't want to do.
1: This just feels more intimate and laid back and um, more of a character story than... I mean, like, noir films tend to be very plotty.
0: Like, I'm calling it a crime film, but it really is... And it's got it gives you an action scene or two, yeah. and it has quite an explosive ending. But it's a good character study. It's a drama. Yeah, you can argue all day about what genre ending does is it kind have of to violent. be? Does it have to be a genre? So yeah. was
1: like Bonnie and Clyde included in the neo noir stuff? No. No. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the ending, I mean, was violent. Like the end of Bonnie and Clyde was violent. Yeah. You know.
0: No, that was just the, that was. Is usually just thrown around as the beginning of new Hollywood cinema. Yeah. Like it's the yeah. first film that's like <laughs> really breaking rules and and uh, putting it all it, out there. I mean,
1: it really does feel more like a buddy film where the buddy. Yeah, started, you something said that's wrong,
0: and I immediately thought of like Midnight Run or something yeah. with Charles Grodin and Robert De Niro. Like yeah. he, he's an accountant, and, yeah. and and De Niro's like a bail bondsman, and yeah. it, like <laughs> it's, not, it's not really like that at all. Yeah. But anyway, we've this is we've gone a long time, yeah, and we should probably call it quits. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Mr. Kane really.
1: No, he,
0: he has about. Okay, I just have to say
1: he's just Michael Caine.
0: He's Michael Caine. Yeah. He has five <laughs> or ten minutes of screen time, mm-hmm, but God damn it, Michael Caine is always good, and he's perfect. Yeah, I like. I li- he he has some great scenes. And
1: his voice is just so. He's perfect well, as a creepy that, mob boss guy. Do you remember guy. that
0: wonderful? There's this scene where I, where they have this entire like esoteric conversation mm-hmm. because you can never actually talk about the crime and exactly yeah. what's going on and what you want people to do. So you have to talk around it. Yeah. There's this like talk scene where Michael Caine is basically trying to get him to, um, get some blackmail kind of stuff on one of Simone's clients, but he doesn't actually say that he talks yeah. around and around the block. Like, so that I actually looked at you and like, what was like, what was he talking about? What was that even about? <laughs> what did he want? I think he wants him to find something out. But it was just a masterpiece of like saying nothing and double yeah. talk. But like knowing that something is there that you better yeah. do. It's good stuff. and Michael Caine could pull it off. <laughs> so that was my pick. Mona yes. Lisa.
1: Mona Lisa.
0: And we should let everybody loose until next time when it's your turn again.
1: That's right. And I just
0: noticed we've done a few of these kinds of films in a row. Well, we actually did Mildred Pierce last time, yeah. which, is a, which actually was sort of a noir, although we argued about that a little bit, too.
1: Yes. It's Dave and Ashley argue about noir.
0: So maybe we don't do noir next time? Well, okay. we, we never set rules. We just go where the train of thought goes, right? right? We hop on the train of thought and we ride. Yes. All right. Well, we'll see you again in a few weeks. And uh, thanks for listening and uh, hope to talk at you. Yes. Soon? Okay, bye. Happy viewing.